Well, howdy y'all. Welcome to episode number 16 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host, producer, editor, and just kind of head cheese, I guess, since I'm a one-man show. Uh, I am Michael Mitchell, or THE Michael Mitchell. Uh, for those of you that follow the podcast and listen to me, thank you so much for sitting here on the back porch with me and listening to me tell a few little stories about things that I find interesting. So I do uh, lots of fun research, lots of looking, um, you know, digging around, trying to find interesting stuff. And if it interests me, well, heck, I put it on the podcast and here we are. So I, I just, it's, it's fun. And I don't know what grabbed me this week, but, but somebody mentioned this and I thought, you know, that would be a cool podcast. And so I looked it up. So, you know, here we go this week. Uh, like to start by talking a little bit about a place that has captured our imagination for thousands of years. Uh, I'm talking about a fictional or maybe real. I don't know. There's some people that argue that it's real, but it's a it's officially a fictional island that was mentioned first by Plato in his works called Timaeus and uh, Critias. I don't know. I think I'm probably saying it wrong. C r i t i a s Critias. Anyway, it was done uh, in and around, these were works that he did, writings that he did, in and around 360 B.C. So, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And this fictional island falls out of favor with the gods or the deities of the time um, for all their bad deeds or whatever it was. And it sinks below the waves of the Atlantic Ocean, never to be seen again. Yeah, you're right, folks. I'm, I'm talking about Atlantis. Now, I'm sure you guys are sitting there thinking, what on earth does Atlantis have to do with Texas? Well, I'm going to tell you. You just hang on to your hats because we're going to talk about some underwater cities right here in our own backyard in the great state of Texas. Basically, uh, miniature Atlantises without, I guess, all the fighting and war and gods and deities. These are just, yeah, places that were, I guess. Before we jump into this too much, though, as always, I do want to mention our sponsor, Miracle Mortgage. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas, and I know a lot of you guys know these people. So let me help them out. I am an independent mortgage loan originator working right here out of Wichita Falls, Texas, um, with my friend and broker who owns and started Miracle Mortgage. Um, we help people finance their dream homes right here in Texas. So anywhere in Texas, we can do loans. Again, like I've said before, the tough part about doing mortgages is nobody really wants them. <laughs> That's tough, man. Nobody really wants what I'm selling. And uh, I mean, seriously, who wants a mortgage, right? I don't even want a mortgage. But you know, most people can't afford just to go pay cash. So why not send them my way, let them work with somebody who's at least a little bit entertaining and works hard to make that process as painless as possible. That's right, somebody like me, yours truly. So if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them over to me. Send them to my website, themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L.com. Let me help them out. And remember here at Miracle Mortgage, we sell dreams, not mortgages. Yep, I'm waiting for everybody to go, aw, isn't that nice? 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. That's my little attempt at humor with the old mortgage business. All right. Well, let's talk about these Atlantises of Texas, I guess. Um, it, this was actually kind of a tough little research project because everybody knows about these underwater towns, but there's not a whole heck of a lot of information out there. There's some information on a few, but man, this was, this one took me a while. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, these are just kind of fun. It's mostly just a little history lesson. So if history bores you, I guess go ahead and shut this off. But, um, you know, if not, if you like history, this is this is the place to be. So one of the most well-known underwater towns here in Texas that I could find is called Bluffton, B-L-U-F-F-T-O-N. So Bluffton is near Burnett and Marble Falls, so northwest of Austin, about 60 miles. <clears throat> it was right on the banks of the Colorado River. Bluffton was a thriving community in the late 1800s, as most communities in Texas were. You know, however, the completion of the Buchanan Dam in 1937 led to the town slowly being submerged. So technically today, there is still a Bluffton, Texas. It's on the west side of the lake. However, Old Bluffton has remained in the depths of the lake until some recent droughts in the last few years. You know, Texas has had some droughts. We have our ups and downs. <clears throat> it lowered the lake over 26 feet. That's huge. Um, so, I mean, 26 feet. And so people were able to start seeing parts of the building, foundations, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Droughts happen. <clears throat> they come and they go. Sorry about the uh, clearing my throat. So it seems like a terrible idea to have a whole town move, but realistically, this was actually fairly common. Actually, it was fairly common in the early 1900s all the way up through the Great Depression, like back in the day, I guess. Um, really, after part of the New Deal, um, helping us get out of the Great Depression. We had lots of WPA, CCCC projects, all that kind of stuff. The Hoover Dam was built as part of that, I think. Anyway, uh, reservoirs um, and lakes were kind of a big thing. So after the Great Depression, there were lots of dams built. Of course, many other public service projects were completed. But in this case, this uh, Lake Buchanan or Buchanan Dam um, was one of those. And it caused about 50 families. Um, they had to move and even some of the graves were moved to higher ground after their land was sold to the Lower Colorado River Authority, the LCRA, um, who still oversees that lake today. Um, so today I'm told, or what I was able to read, if you take a boat ride over to the Buchanan Dam, you can still see some old structures. And, uh, you know, if the water's low enough, you can even see some of the old uh, cemetery tombstones peeking out of the water. That's kind of cool. Now, that's old Bluffton. Um, I guess the new Bluffton, you can just drive to the cemetery. You don't have to wait for the water <laughs> to go down. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of creepy to be out cruising around in a boat and then you're just like, oh, huh, here's a tombstone sticking out of the water. I don't know. That would be a little unnerving, I guess. So here's another one, and I... I could not find a lot of information on it, but lots of places mention it, 
but they don't mention a lot of history. So this was kind of weird. So this is about 65 miles northeast of Houston. It's another kind of interesting underwater town. It's called Old City Park. Now, you start Googling Old City Park and it pulls up all kinds of crap from all over the world. Um, Apparently there's Old City, you know, quote unquote, Old City Parks kind of everywhere. Um, but this one is, like I said, fairly close to Houston. It's right on, uh, the, or was on the Trinity river. And it was founded by a group of merchants and farmers in the mid 1800s. But as sometimes happens, especially if you set up next to a river, it floods. So, um, the settlers eventually abandoned the site. Uh, and then in the 1950s, as did happen, a lot of those projects uh, out of the New Deal didn't happen until the 50s. So the river was dammed up. It created the Lake Livingston Reservoir and submerged the old city park underwater. Um, I guess, I mean, since it was abandoned in the mid-1800s, I'm guessing there wasn't much there because nobody really talks about seeing foundations or houses or anything else under Lake Livingston. I guess it's just kind of in a few people's memories. So yeah, that one's kind of another interesting one. So anyway, now this one, this next one that comes up, this, this hit my radar several times. So it's South of DFW, which is Dallas Fort Worth. For those of y'all that don't mind, uh, don't know DFW. It's not just the airport. Um, some people collectively call it the Metroplex. Some people collectively call it the uh, Metro Mess. But yeah, DFW kind of encompasses Dallas, Fort Worth, and all the little towns around it that are just absolutely exploding right now. Man, there's just tons of people. But anyway, this one's south of DSW. And it's called, I believe it's called Towash. T-O-W-A-S-H. That could be Towash. Um, but I like Towash. Uh, it was once a thriving community, but what makes it interesting is that it was settled several different times by different people. Hmm. So not a lot of controversy there, but just kind of brings that mystery to it, I guess. So the area was originally uh, settled by the Ioni Indians, I believe is how you say it. I-O-N-I, Ioni. Um, who had moved from Louisiana in about 1835. I guess that was part of the whole transferring tribes and everything oh there we go it's 11 o'clock so y'all are gonna have to hear the uh, chime of my my clock going in the background anyway soldiers and traders in the area referred to the area as towash village after the tribe's chief towash i guess that was the guy's name i found several places where they talked about chief towash but it was called towash village uh and then in 1850 uh white settlers moved in and forced the tribe to move away, which I guess they did agreeably. It didn't say anything about a big battle or whatever. I guess it was just people moved in and the Native Americans that were there were just kind of like, screw this. We're just not going to, you know, be neighbors with these people. So they ended up moving um, a few miles upriver and I guess lived peacefully, happily. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't find a whole lot more information about them. But anyway, the new citizens graciously named their town after the former inhabitants <laughs> and they called it Towash. Nothing like moving into town, running a bunch of people out of there and then naming the town after the people that you just ran off. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. 
So the Native Americans inhabit it first, develop this little village, and then the new inhabitants, the uh, Anglo-Americans, as it was politely said, basically white people, um, move in, run them off, and then name the town after them. Good for them. So uh, there was a dam that was built there in 1854, and it ran a gristmill and then later a wool carding machine. Now, I'm not sure what that is, and I didn't look it up, but I assume it has something to do with processing wool because it did talk about how women from up to 100 miles away would bring their wool there during the Civil War to be processed so that they could make blankets and, and other stuff to wear during the Civil War. So, 1854, the dam is built, runs the grist mill and the wool carding machine. Um, then they have a huge flood. 1863, blows the dam out. So they rebuild it. And this time, they rebuild it. They still have the grist mill. They still have the wool carding machine, but they add a cotton gin because cotton was a big industry here in Texas, um, different areas. And then it grows to have the usual. It had wagon yards, blacksmith, the school. It talks about all that. Um, it did have a ferry boat service, which I thought was kind of cool. Not a lot of places that I know of in Texas had ferry boats. And uh, yeah. So anyway, um, the dam was flooded out and destroyed again in 1908. So they had a good run that time. You know, a good 45 years or something. And so it, it blows out the dam again, destroys it, and that's somewhat of a death knell for Towash. A lot of the people um, kind of held on and I guess stayed there. It showed that there was, you know, not a huge amount of people, but like a hundred or so that stayed. But really the big blow, the, the final death blow, comes when they decide to construct a new dam in 1951. Again, one of those New Deal um, projects that happened much later and they created a lake called Lake Whitney, which I have seen over the years is a really pretty lake. So uh, an interesting part is the original Baptist church is underwater. So in the 1850s, I think if I remember right, they build a nice, decent sized Baptist church. And uh, so now it's going to be underwater. So what the church members do is they go build an almost exact replica in New Towash, which is just called Towash, Texas. Um, which is a little itty-bitty. There's not much there from what I can tell. But they go build this replica church, and they save the old bell, the hand-hewn rostrum, um, the church's Bible, and their church records. And so then they just go put them in this replica church. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, I, I don't know why that just sounded so cool to me, but I just, I was like, you know, I mean, people dig up graves and haul them, you know, somewhere else. Uh, I do remember growing up uh, when my dad was in medical school in Tulsa, we lived in a little town called Manford, Oklahoma. And we were right on Lake Keystone. And I don't remember if it was actually the original town of Manford, uh, M-A-N-N-F-O-R-D. Uh, I don't remember if it was the original town um, or if there was another town. But, but anyway, regardless, I remembered hearing stories as a kid that, you know, well, the town just picked up and moved, you know, there was going to be a lake here. So they moved the town and I always thought that's just weird. How do you just move a whole town? You know, and as a kid, you remember these things. Uh, and now as an adult, I'm thinking back to these things and I laugh because you read in history all the time. Well, the railroad decided to run 
you know, three miles north of where, where the town was. So everybody just kind of went, well, I, I guess we're going to move. And so they, they did. They would just literally move the whole town. And so now that I'm an adult, you know, it was literally people taking down their buildings and their houses, you know, stacking them on wagons and moving them and rebuilding them. But as a kid, I thought, well, did they just bring like a bunch of horses and oxes in and put like axles under these houses and just drag them across the prairie? <laughs> I just had this this weird thought, I guess, this weird imagination. I don't know. But yeah, I, I remember that as a kid. So Lake Keystone has another town buried under it. And I remember hearing that a lot as a kid. So... uh Similarly, this is another town that I could not find much about, but this was another one that's mentioned a lot, but there's not a lot of history on it. So the town of Zana, or Zana, Z-A-N-A, um, was also submerged due to the damming of the Angelina River in 1953. So again, it, it creates this reservoir. Um, this is also down around Houston. I forgot to write that in my notes, but I'm pretty sure it's down around Houston. Um, but the interesting thing that I found about it and why I included it was the first European explorers found the uh, Hassanai tribe, which is a branch of the Caddo tribe living in that area. So the first Spanish and then French explorers competed for the, res uh, the resources here in Texas, and they traveled along the Angelina Riverbanks a lot, and they apparently traded a fair amount with this Caddo tribe but Spanish missionaries came to the area and there was a uh, Hassanai, and I hope I'm saying that right. If somebody from the tribe listens to this, man, shoot me a message, let me know. But the Hassanai Indian girl, uh, there was an Indian girl there that they called Angelina. And so the legend is that the Angelina River was named for this Caddo tribe Indian girl that the Spanish missionaries just called Angelina. So I thought that was kind of pretty. I always find it interesting how places get their get their names. Normally it's after some dude, you know, the founding father, whatever. You know, Wichita Falls, named after, you know, the Wichita Native American tribe that was here. And then, you know, the falls, which we apparently had falls. Reading some of the history, we had some falls on the Wichita River. Uh, and then a big flood kind of blew them out. We didn't have falls anymore, and I, I think it was in the 80s that somebody said, well, we should have falls again here. And so they actually built fake Wichita Falls <laughs> right here on the north side of town. It's it's a fake waterfall. Well, I mean, I guess it's a real waterfall, but it's it's funny. If it's going to flood or if it's going to get below freezing, um, we run out and we turn our falls off. <laughs> so, you know, every now and then we come back in town and we go, oh, well, they got the falls off. I guess, you know, we got some rain. Wichita River's flooded. Anyway, sorry, I digress. <clears throat> so one that I do want to mention, though, uh, I grew up in Clay County, Henrietta, Texas, which was the county seat. Uh, I live in Wichita Falls now, which is only 20 miles away, bigger bigger city. Um, but this last one that I want to mention is right here in my backyard. It is under Lake Arrowhead, which is east-southeast of Wichita Falls, and it's the little town of Halsell. H-A-L-S-E-L-L, -L, Halsell. Uh, and there are some Halsells that still live in Clay County. There's still a Halsell Ranch, I believe. Um, so anyway, it's established around the turn of the 20th century, you know, 1900s, early 1900s, late 1800s, whatever. And it's named after a local rancher named Henry Halsell. 
the town was granted a post office in 1901. And, and I love this. The post office was such a big deal. If you're ever reading history of towns, almost always they mention when they got a post office and when the post office was closed. Like, I guess that's important information. But I guess post offices were really important back in the day. A lot of times they mention when... Uh, when electricity came there or a telephone or telegraph line came in. Anyway, so the town is granted a post office in 1901, but it closes in 1919. I don't know. I guess transportation was easier to Henrietta or Archer City, whatever. So you could just get your mail there. So the town shifts its location a little bit in 1903. It says to enjoy the benefits of being alongside the tracks of the railroad which again, there we go, a whole town moves to be about around a railroad. So it's, it's interesting, a lot of places in the U.S., a lot of towns are there and were dictated by the railroad. So they're on the tracks of the railroad, the Red River and Southwestern, which connected Henrietta with Archer City. So they had some huge, grow, huge growth. It was pretty immediate. Um, and some of the estimates put it at a town of about 600 people, which was a pretty decent-sized little town back in the day. In 1921, the railroad discontinues its service, um, which I think had to do with bankruptcy. Uh, railroads are kind of weird. They weren't all owned by these giant conglomerates. And so the Red River and Southwestern was probably owned by some people out of Henrietta and Archer City, whatever. I mean, the, the distance is not that far you know, it's only like, as the crow flies, you know, 15 or 20 miles, something like that to Arch City. So, you know, they they did that for some reason, you know, hauling cattle or, or maybe being able to ship, um, you know, to ship cotton or some other kind of product somewhere. And so they would connect up these little branch lines all the time. And Henrietta ended up, I mean, the railroad tracks it's on were, are still used today. They still flow through here and go all the way up to Denver, um, which is also why Henrietta is kind of Henrietta. So anyway, uh, so the railroad discontinues its service, which results in a big decline, obviously, of the little town. So, um, and then the Great Depression takes a little more of a toll. By 1933, it was reported that 36 residents lived in Hossel. Uh, and we're served by a single business. But it doesn't say what that single business is. Nowhere can I find that. So 600 people in 1921 to 12 years later, 36. That That's a huge, huge, huge drop in population. So oil is discovered in, in the area, but it doesn't result in anything really resembling a boom. And so the population of 36 continued through the 1960s. And then the building of Lake Arrowhead in 1965 resulted in Halsell being taken by eminent domain for the construction because it's going to be underwater. So, you know, state has to own it. So what's cool, though, is that the oil derricks were left. At least this is the story I remember being told. So there were oil derricks out there where they drilled for oil in the 30s um, and maybe 40s. And apparently it's not a huge boom and they just leave the oil derricks up and everybody's like, well, should we take them down? Well, no, the area is getting flooded. So forget it. <laughs> We're just going to leave these oil derricks sitting in the middle of the lake. So if you go drive around Lake Arrowhead, 
there's, I don't remember, eight or ten of these big, tall, metal oil derricks. Uh, people fish around them all the time. I don't think they're supposed to hook onto them with their boats, but a lot of people do. They go out there, they fish around them. Apparently there's tons of fish that live right at the bottom of these oil derricks. Um, I won't tell you how I know, but uh, apparently some high schoolers have swam out to these oil derricks from the shore, which which is a little bit of a ways, and they swim out, and you can crawl up on them and jump off of them, which, again, you're not supposed to do. I guess they're technically private property, but, I mean, high schoolers, you know, do whatever they want. But, yeah, you used to... Uh, uh, people that I know, wink, wink, nod, nod, used to swim around them or jump off of them. Um, in 2014, and I guess prior to that, uh, we had a pretty severe drought. Um, so bad, in fact, we have what we call the Water Reuse Project, which was actually kind of conceived by a friend of mine named Daniel Nix, who's a uh, big cheese with the water department here. And basically they would uh, clean up our sewer water, pump it out to the lake, where we would suck it back up and reuse it. And so there were a lot of jokes around that, you know, because there's an ick factor, you know, you're drinking your own poo water. I still have a shirt that says really big and proud, Wichita Falls, we put the number two in H2O. <laughs> so, I mean, we had a lot of fun with that. But the Water Reuse Project did really significantly help um, help during our drought. And Daniel Nix has gotten to travel the world over and help other communities all around the world in looking at building a water reuse project, kind of like we did. So it was during this really, really severe drought, like our lake gets down to like less than 10% from the boat docks. It was like a mile out to where there was actually any water. I mean, you could walk around right there at the edge of the boat docks and it was solid ground. I mean, absolutely solid and cracked. It was that bad. But during this drought, you could see foundations and there were people that would go walk around the old town of Halsell. They found a bunch of artifacts, including a bunch of uh, like belt buckles and shoes. They found the foundation of the old schoolhouse, which also had a cistern and some plumbing facilities. Um, they had another like a big water tank, like all this stuff could be seen because it was there like and apparently some people like went out i don't know maybe mowed around it or something because it was a long way to water at that point but it was in the the lake basin um, but one of the cool things that i remember hearing about is that you could see the raised areas uh in the middle of the lake where the railroad ran and also the main road into town so you could see all that and you know here it had been buried under the water for 50 plus years so fortunately, we had some real torrential downpours. We just had a great, great, great year for rain in 2015. It ended our extreme drought and Hossel sank back below the water once again. You can't see it anymore. So there you go. That's a, that was right here in our backyard. So Hossel, Texas, just right out by Lake Arrowhead. If you get a chance to go out to Lake Arrowhead, it's cool. It's got a really long dam you can drive across. It's, it's just kind of, it's a pretty area. So while the idea of underwater towns may seem eerie and haunting, um, it's kind of a reminder of the power of progress. I mean, if you think about Texas, without all these reservoirs and dams that were built and lakes and all that other stuff, especially after the New Deal, you know, um, we wouldn't have the water resources for our towns to get as big as they are now. 
And then, of course, you know, like I said, there's guys like Daniel Nix that are coming up with these crazy water reuse projects where we reuse our own poo water, <laughs> as some people say. Um, but yeah, they uh, it, it kept us afloat. I, literally, I guess. Um, so in Texas, you know, we continue to harness that power of the rivers and lakes for energy and irrigation, recreation. So it's cool. But you know, you've got these eerie and haunting towns. Now, a lot of these, I mean, keep in mind, this wasn't a surprise. It was just like, you know, they didn't wake up to like water under their feet. They knew, they knew it was coming. So the people, and most of the time they were bought out, their lands were bought out. So they weren't just left destitute. So, but with this, I mean, it is kind of still eerie and haunting to know that these towns, I guess, these whole towns are under the water out there. So, you know, we kind of just need to remember and, and respect these communities that once thrived in these areas and, and check out their history. So there you go. Just a little more of me babbling about, you know, something that's interesting. That's, uh, you know, four cities of Atlantis, I guess, right here in Texas. So you got Hossel, Texas, Xana, uh, Towash, Old City Park and Bluffton. Ooh, I said four, didn't I? I meant five. So there's five cities of Atlantis that rise and sink depending on the droughts. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank my sponsor, which is me and Miracle Mortgage. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way. Send them to themichaelmitchell.com. Remember, we sell dreams, not mortgages. I love helping people get into homes. So there you have it. Tune in again next week. I'm going to try to come up with a few. I'm heading off to Boy Scout camp um, first two weeks of June. So I'm going to try to find a few to load those up so that you guys don't go without. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe I'll have to do one from Camp Simpson up in uh, close to Tishomingo, Oklahoma. If I've got enough internet service, who knows? I'll figure it out. Anyway, folks, as always, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.